Well, good morning. Welcome to Trinity here in person or with us online. It is a joy to gather together. Uh, we get to gather to sing, to pray, to hear the word. These are good things for us. We need them. Our hearts need them. And it is uh, a, hopefully for us a pleasure to be a part of this. Uh, and it's the this that has been our focus this fall. This, the church, the significance of the church, why it's so important, why it matters to our lives, to our faith, to us living it out, not just individually, personally, but collectively and together, living out this thing that we are holding on to, and the faith in Christ and life in Him. And as we hold on to that and live that out together, we need structure. And that's where we are at in our series in the significance of the church. We're looking at the structure. Last week we considered membership, and this week we're going to consider elders. And next week begins a three-part series on deacons. Um, and you might be thinking, why three-part series on deacons? Why not three parts on elders or on membership? Why deacons? Well, we have our elder team has spent the last couple of years slowly working through our bylaws. Um, the fun read, you know, that everybody is eager to dig into. But the bylaws sort of setting the, some of the context and the, the characteristics of what we are belonging to together as, as Trinity Baptist Church. We embarked on that journey to clean up the bylaws from some tricky wording of things or uh, some things that were too broad that needed to be more narrow or things that were too narrow that needed to be more broad. And in that process, we um, this prayerfully and with study felt that it was time for Trinity to move from trustees to deacons. Trustees were doing some of the work of deacons, but not all of the work of deacons. And we wanted to account for that. And so we've worked and reworked and then had proofread and edited and so forth our proposed bylaws. There are hard copies in the back. We sent out an email this weekend that had a PDF version. If you did not get that email, I would encourage you, this would be a great time to sign up for that. You can do that at trinitynh.org. Uh, you'll get weekly email on Friday, and, and then toward the end of the month, you'll get a, a Trinity newsletter uh, that will cover some of the things coming ahead and articles written by our very own people. So I'd encourage you to sign up for the email to get that. If you prefer a hard copy, you can get one on the small table on the way out of our auditorium. Uh, but look it over. At the end of October, uh, on October 29th, we're going to host a Q&A night here in the main auditorium uh, to talk through the things that are different in the proposed bylaws. For the proposed bylaws to be effective uh, or to be in effect, it needs membership support and a vote. Uh, so the members of Trinity will vote them in or vote them not in. And so we're going to have a Q&A night on October 29th at 5 p.m. Then the following Sunday, which is November 5th, following the service, Lord willing, we'll have a vote. And that vote will either bring in these new proposed bylaws or, or not bring them in. And back to the drawing table, we would go. So that is what is ahead for us. These things are important, and it's really at the heart of why we wanted to do this series this fall. 
is to talk about the significance of the local church and to look at the structure of the church. And so today we're going to be turning our attention to the leadership within the church and elders and then three weeks on deacons. My hope is that it brings great encouragement to us as a church family, why we're moving in this direction together, uh, but also just to be greatly encouraged by what it is that God has built in his building and will build in the local church in Trinity Baptist Church. So if you have a Bible, please open up your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to begin at the very beginning of the chapter. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7 as we consider what it means uh, to be an elder, to have elders, and what do we do as a church family with elders. All right, so let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Let's take a moment to pray. God, as we come to this passage, it certainly is weighty and can feel overwhelming. Uh, I can say I feel that. And I'm sure as a church family, we can feel the weightiness of this. So would you do a good work in our hearts as we come to it? And would you encourage us and equip us to live according to your design as a church family? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think it's pretty clear that without leadership, things will collapse. Whether it's in, on a sport team or uh, in a business or in a family or in a church, without leadership, things will collapse. Thinking about the significance and structure of the church, it is noteworthy to draw our attention to the important role leadership plays in the life of a church. Without leaders, especially as we see in Scripture, elders and deacons, the church's beliefs and direction in life will collapse. And so we want to take this seriously, because God's Word takes it seriously and gives us this instruction. So I hope it brings, like I said and prayed, I hope it encourages us. That's my hope, is that it would encourage us. To encourage us to embrace the importance of elders. To embrace the importance of it. And so let's look at embracing the importance of elders by taking some time to think about what elders do, what kind of elders we need, and what do we do under elders? What do we do as a church family under leadership of elders? So what elders do, what kind of elders we need, and what do we do under elders? Well, let's tackle first what elders do. Elders lead through shepherding. Elders lead in the local church through shepherding. There's two ways I want to break that down. First is this, elders lead. It is a role of authority in a church. Now, I understand Authority isn't a fun word today, 
People like to reject it or question it. Others like to get it and keep it and abuse it. Um, Authority has certainly gotten a bad rap because of all of these things that we feel about and act upon when it comes to the idea of authority. But when we read through that list, when we read through the descriptions of the one who would be qualified to have such a role, uh, the list of qualifications for an elder should show us just how serious this is, how important it is, how significant it is. And we need to see right away that elders lead. And they lead by setting the structure of doctrine, that is, the things that we believe, that we teach and preach, by, by setting the, the structure of that, but also by setting the course of what it looks like to follow Jesus together. Elders are responsible for these things. And this authority that elders have is bound to the specific local church that they serve at. To be an elder at Trinity Baptist Church is not binding or appropriate in any way to any other church anywhere else. It is specifically to the local church. We see in Titus chapter 1, verse 5, uh, a very somewhat sister-like letter to 1 Timothy. The same writer of 1 Timothy, which is the Apostle Paul, is writing to another sort of protege, Titus. And he says this, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So there's an important thing about the work of the church is that it needs order and structure and leadership. But this is a New Testament idea, not a modern idea, uh, but it is one that is at the very beginning of the church. Crete was a region, an area, and it had many cities and towns, and it had many churches scattered throughout that area. Titus roamed, if you will, and cared for those places and helped appoint elders in those local churches to help keep things in order and structure, following after God's design. To appoint means to, it's that process of raising up, training, recognizing, and deploying. It's raising up, training, recognizing, and deploying into service those who would lead within the church. Titus had a big job ahead of him. Not one that you could fast forward or, or do the short version or the online form where you do a few clickety clicks and you know, zone out while you watch the show while the online thing was going on. There was no fast version of this. It required time and personal proximity. And that was his role, is to appoint these elders. And elders lead a local church in shaping and guarding what we believe and how we live out what we believe. They lead. Elders lead. Before they lead the church, they have to lead themselves. Elders lead themselves in biblical truth and practice before they can lead in the church. We see that, actually, in Paul's instructions in Acts 20, verse 28. Interestingly enough, he is speaking to elders in the very town that Timothy is in, Ephesus. In Acts 20, 28, he says this, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. 
Pay careful attention to yourselves. If you want to shepherd well, if you want to lead well, if you want to elder well in the life of a local church, pay careful attention to what you believe and how you live. He says it again at the, toward the end of his letter in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 4.16, he says, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the, and on the teaching. For elders to lead, they must lead themselves. If elders lead by shaping our beliefs and our manner of following Jesus together, then they need to be ahead on that pathway. They need to know what we believe, and they need to know how to live in light of what we believe. You can't share that which you don't know, and you can't go where you haven't been. And so elders need to know what we believe. They need to to have been where we want to go in living out our lives following Jesus. So elders lead, they lead themselves, and elders lead through shepherding. And I keep saying that, shepherding, because that's the prevailing metaphor in the Bible for elders. In the life of a local church, elders lead through shepherding. 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, they talk about the kind of elders, and we'll get to that in the second point. They talk about the kind of person who does this work. But 1 Peter 5 talks about what elders do. And I wanted to start there before we talked about the kind of elders we need. What is it that they do? Well, 1 Peter 5 breaks it down like this. First, in 1 Peter 5, 2, it says this to elders. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. To be an elder is to be among the people of God. Not in a boardroom making decisions, but actually in the lives of people that we are sharing life together in the local church. Helping each other along the way to know, to trust, to love, and to follow Jesus. To shepherd is to help others know, trust, love, and follow Jesus. As many others have said, elders are to smell like sheep, to just sort of play off of the metaphor. That's why we, a little while ago, we changed the way we described or the way we called our elders. We, we dropped the terminology elder board and have embraced elder team. Because board mentality is misaligned to what the Bible presents as the work of an elder. Shepherd, be in the lives of the people that call Trinity Baptist Church home. Be in the lives with one another and with each other. That is the heart of the work of an elder. What is an elder doing but investing his life in the lives of others? Not everyone, no person can do that, but that's why you have a plurality of elders so as to share in the lives of each other. And what do they do? They exercise oversight. It speaks to, again, the authority position an elder has in the church. Oversees the life and doctrine of the church. Oversees souls of those who are entrusted into their shepherding care. And they do so as under-shepherds. What does that mean? They work for a bigger shepherd. They work for a greater shepherd. So elders are like this. They're saying to everyone in the sheepfold, to keep the metaphor going, Hey, We're not really the big deal here. There's a bigger deal, and we want you to see who the bigger deal is. 
And that's this great shepherd over here. So why don't we corral up everybody? Let's go, let's go over to the great shepherd. And the great shepherd is Jesus. And so elders, the fundamental work of an elder is to help people get on to Jesus. Get on in their lives to Jesus. That might sound simplistic. I don't care. The work of an elder is to help people get their lives onto Jesus. Maybe through saving faith, but then ongoing, sustaining faith as we live out our lives and our faith. So shepherd the flock of God. To the elders in the room, shepherd the flock of God. Be among the people and help them see Jesus. Church family, you want leaders who take that seriously. And we want to get on to Jesus. We want to behold him and follow after him. And what we believe and how we live. First Peter 5 continues on and talks a little bit more about what exercising oversight means. And lists three things. So let's look at First Peter 5.3. So they're to go about exercising oversight. They're to shepherd the flock among them. Exercising that oversight. How? Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So exercising oversight comes out in three very important ways. I'll say the positive, since it began with a negative. I'll say the positive. So first is exercising oversight that an elder does in the work of shepherding is that does it willingly. Not under compulsion. Willingly does it. Being an elder is not something forced on someone or forced by someone. That there is a, a, a willingness to embrace a selfless, thoughtful, humble commitment to the local church. Willingly setting aside self for a work greater than self. To help people see a greater one in Jesus. So willingly, not under compulsion. Secondly, we see exercising oversight is important in, in this way. Eagerly. That, that elders are eagerly setting aside self to help others behold Jesus. And not doing it for shameful gain. This eagerness is to give, not gain. Eagerness to give time, eagerness to give energy, eagerness to give self, to see others come to know, to trust, to love, and to follow Jesus. There isn't room for guys who just want to be in charge on the elder team. Must be eager for people to behold Jesus. Thirdly, is that the need to set an example? I'm not going to try to say that. I'll tongue-tie myself. You try to say it. But we're going to set an example. Exemplary. Not domineering. Not domineering. For an elder team to care for the life of a church, there's no room for jerks. I don't mean that as a quip or as a joke. There's no room for jerks. Leadership roles, unfortunately, have a gravitational pull for guys who want to tell other people what to do. 
That's not the nature and the character of an elder. Instead, instead, elders need to be guys who model well, not perfectly, but definitely directionally, what it means to believe and follow Jesus. There's a weightiness to this work. This isn't some light thing. This is serious, it's weighty, but it's good. And it's necessary, and it's in God's word, and it's given to us because God is gracious. We need elders. But what kind of elders do we need? What kind of elders do we need to shepherd the flock of God among us? What kind? Well, our passage that we opened up with gives us a picture of what kind of elders we need. Leaders who model a maturing faith and life. Leaders who model a maturing, notice I didn't say matured, maturing, it's all ing on this side of glory. There's no, there's no arrived. Arrived is when Jesus returns or he brings you home. So we're maturing. Leaders who model a maturing faith and life. And as we thought through the work of an elder, it necessitates the kind of man described in 1 Timothy 3, and you can also find a similar description in Titus 1. There are three main features to the kind of elders we need. Three main features to the kind of elders we need. I want to use to summarize our 1 Timothy 3 passage. The first kind of feature is this. We need men who aspire for the work. Look at verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Well, a couple of things I want to say here first. First of all, I've used the word overseer a number of times. In the Bible, there are three different words that are used that all refer to the same kind of the same role, to the same person. We use the word elder. Other translations will have the word elder. Totally normal, acceptable word. Overseer. And, and so it's all referring to the same office, same role. All right? So secondly, we see um, the masculine pronoun. He, meaning a man. So we will say here at Trinity Baptist Church, we believe that an elder is a man. Now, in the coming weeks, we will talk about men and women and leadership when we focus in on the, the, the who and the what and the how of a deacon. So I'm going to explore that further in two weeks, the roles of men and women and leadership within the church. Suffice that to say that here in, in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, Paul is very clearly laying out that an elder is a man. So this man aspires for the work. Aspires for the work. And desires, aspires for the, for the office of elder and desires a noble task. The words there for aspire and desire are very similar. They mean, it means a striving for, a hunger, a passion. And, and I'm so grateful for the follow-up phrase that Paul adds at the very end of verse 1. So he says, whoever aspires for this role is actually passionate for the work 
So it's not the position that the elder candidate or potential person is after, but it's actually the work that is compelling, the work that they're striving for and longing to do. And what was the work? To help people get to Jesus in their life and in their faith. And so there's a sense of that desire for the work in the, in the man that is aspiring for the office. It's a longing to see people know, trust, love, and follow Jesus. And the role of an elder is that of authority in the life of the church, and it goes to qualified men, men who aspire for the work. Now, I want to say something real quickly. It does not say called. It doesn't say called. It says aspire and desire. Called is not very helpful language. Um, And it's certainly not the language God is using here in his word. We have a tendency to over-spiritualize. I feel called to do this. That's really hard to figure that out. If someone says, I feel called to be an elder. Okay. Called by whom? (laughs) How do you know? And what are you doing? And yet, Paul's description here is somebody who is hungry and passionate for people to know and to trust and to love and to follow Jesus. And in that striving, desires to serve in the life of the church. Very different than saying, I feel called. Just be passionate about people trusting and loving and following Jesus. And we can worry about the titles of things later. So one of the things that are, one of the features that's important in First Timothy 3 is that it's men who aspire for the work. Secondly, it's men who are above reproach. Look at verses 2 and 3. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. The main umbrella of that, that list of things, seven positives and four negatives, is to be above reproach. That means showing yourself to be the kind of man who shepherds. It's having character that fits the work. It's not perfection that is described here, so please don't hear that. But it's, it's growth and maturing that's happening in the life of the one who would be an elder. It's having character that fits the work. And what was the work? Shepherding people on toward Jesus. Shepherding people on toward Jesus. And to be above reproach means you don't have something in your life that is totally and completely out of line for the work. He gives a list there. Is that all the things that he could have said? No. Are those important things that he said? Absolutely. But the idea here is having character fit to the work and not having something in your life that's totally out of line with the character necessary for the work. I mean, just think back over what an elder does. That work. This list corresponds to that work. And the list also shows the kind of man who... Can be an elder in the church is not hard, not harsh, not inconsistent, but rather maybe steady and humble and easy to be with, easy to follow. So we need to 
have men in a role that carries with it such weight to have their lives, by God's grace, in a place in which they are above reproach. Now, thirdly, third feature that we find here is not only men uh, who aspire for it, we need that, we need that desire for the work and the role, we need men who are above reproach, we need men who have put it into practice, thirdly, men who have put it into practice. A couple of, three verses left in our, or four verses, excuse me, left in um, our First Timothy 3 passage. Let's read verses 4 and 5 first. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So we need men who say marriage and family is a priority, who love their wives and their kids. Now, their kids don't have to be perfect, and, and that would be a terrible burden to place on any kid of someone who is an elder or leader in the church. It's a horrible burden to place on them. But it, is, it does mean that the elder must love and care for and lead uh, their family, their kids well. That they manage the, say, little church before they can help manage, say, the bigger church. Care for those that are closest to them. Men who put it into practice. Secondly, look at verse 6. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. That's strong, striking words. How serious is that? Gifted men who are new, are young in the faith, are not to be propelled into eldership. It's to be the right guy at the right time. Allow for growth and mature and life to happen and grace to be at work transforming someone who might show signs of being an elder. Allow that process of raising up and training and equipping. Later in the letter, 1 Timothy 5.22, Paul says, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. He's talking about don't put people into leadership too quick. They could sidetrack all the hard work that you've been committed to. And then thirdly, of putting it into practice, verse 7. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. And elders, co-workers, neighbors, friends, shouldn't be shocked to learn that they are a church leader. Maybe they'll be shocked that they go to church, but there's something about the person, the way that he lives out his life, that feels like, okay, that's fitting for leadership. I may not understand anything about church, but you seem like a pretty good dude. In Paul's day, in the Greco-Roman world, um, they would have appreciated a lot of the values that Paul listed. So in many ways, it should be very easy to see the kind of character that's being transformed by the grace of God. So live in a way that shows the world around that following God is worth it. So those are the kind of elders we need. Uh, What do elders do? They shepherd people toward Jesus. What kind of elders do we need? Ones who aspire for that work, who are above reproach, and who have put it into practice. What do we do under elders? What do we do under elders? Well, our call is to follow those who lead. Our call is to follow those who lead. We Embrace and aspire for it. 
We embrace and aspire for it. So embracing what we believe and what it means to follow Jesus together. You commit to a local church. That's why we talked about membership last week. And in that commitment to the local church, you're embracing what it is that we believe and, and how we want to live out those beliefs together as a church family. Embrace it. This carries with it a very weighty relationship between elders and the church. Hebrews 13, 17, I'm going to look at it two parts to talk about the weightiness of this relationship. First part, it says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Ouch. <laughs> For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Double ouch. This is weighty. First part jumps out. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Our modern Western American ears, oh, we prickle at that. The, we, don't, we don't want to do that. New Englanders are ruggedly individualistic. Weather the storm in the winter. So part of that feels weird to our modern ears. Obey your leaders and submit to them? What is this? What is at the heart there? Well, it's aligning your life to the local church, following its direction. I mean, there's a way to be a part of a church and be prickly like a cactus. Or there's a way to be a part of a local church and it's not perfect. Please never... Trinity Baptist Church is not perfect. I hope we're a healthy church. Striving for that. But we're not perfect. We're not going to do things right. We're going to flub and mess up. But when we take seriously this call, we see that we're all aiming to something bigger. It's bigger than elders. It's bigger than membership. It's bigger than the name on our building. It's about following after Jesus. And so we wouldn't say, hey, this is, this is what we believe about who God is, what he is like, what he has done, and what it means for us. And we want to follow after him by trusting Jesus and living out our lives together through worship and community and mission because he is worthy and he is worth it. And so that phrase, obey your leaders and submit to them, is like, hey, I'm embracing this. I'm all in. Let's do this. Now, elders, they have to work and serve and lead and shepherd as ones who have to give an account. Giving an account is no joke. Jesus will check his notes on whether we are shepherding people toward him or away from him. And so elders carry a weighty responsibility. But guess what? Hebrews 13, 17 continues. And it says this, speaking again to the congregation. Let them, elders, do this, the work of an elder, shepherding people toward Jesus, with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no, of no advantage to you. As members, we are to make it easy for our elders to shepherd the, God, the flock of God among them. We're to make it easy for them to do that. Kind of like a, how a family has expectations of what it means to be a family. And so like a family that honors the expectations of what it means to be that family, so a local church is to honor the expectations. What advantage would it be to you? Sorry, teenagers. But what advantage would it be to you to be like a teenager pushing against the boundaries of the family that, the, that the, the, the rules and the boundaries that are in place for the good of the family. 
What advantage would it be for us to act like that in the life of a church? That's what Hebrews 13, 17 is saying. So we instead, we embrace what we're doing. We believe the gospel. We embrace what we believe. We invest in this journey toward greater maturity in faith and how we live. We are eager to behold and reflect Jesus. That it would be for our good to be together, saying together, Jesus is worthy and worth it, and what we believe and how we live that out as a church. Running against those things will not profit you. Now, it doesn't mean that elders aren't above questions and critiques, of course, but working together as opposed to immediately against. Many churches have buckled under that over the last four years. A lot of cultural issues have caused churches to buckle under the against one another. Maybe you know of some, maybe where friends or family are, maybe even in our own area. It's hard. It's heartbreaking. We need to be together, running with, not against. And as a warning, just as a caution, if you think you have everything right and want to gnaw at the elders about it, good chances are you don't qualify to be an elder. Not characteristic that fits. We want to be able to care for people onto Jesus and to do that collectively as a church. Now, real quick, I want to say something. A note on the phrase, let them do this with joy. This doesn't mean the center of the story in a local church is the joy of the elders. The center of the story in a local church is growing toward Jesus. That's the story. That's what we want to be about. The point of that phrase is to not be difficult people unwilling to grow toward Jesus. That's the point. To not be difficult people unwilling to grow toward Jesus. Now I want to say something here. You may have had hard heavy, harsh experiences that have been burdens on your soul. Maybe you've experienced significant hurt in the church, in this church or in a church. Or maybe you have deep, painful trauma in your life. Maybe you have been abused. Maybe you are suffering under the weight of your own shame. Maybe you've been gripped with fear or with anxieties or with worries Maybe you've been suffering in silence for a long time, unsure if there's anyone safe to share that very burden with. These are not groans for the elders. No, no. That's not what this is getting at. We want to listen. We want to pray. We want to groan with you, not at you. Hopefully, when you see the, the work of an elder and the kind of an elder a church needs, that maybe, just maybe, that will give you the courage to reach out for the help that you need. And don't worry if things are hard and heavy and you bring that heavy out. That's not what the, the joy that we're to be mindful of uh, is referring to. No, no. That falls right in line with the very work that elders are committing themselves to. So I hope you hear the opportunity for you to unburden some of that which has been very heavy. And we as an elder team here 
eagerly, willingly, and hopefully with care and compassion walk through that with you. That would be a joy for us to do. All right. So we embrace this together as a church. We embrace what God has structured and given to the church, and we aspire for what it is to bring. We aspire for the character and the work of an elder. Hopefully, and what do I mean by that? Is hopefully you, you are able to see in the qualifications, what we read in 1 Timothy 3, a general picture that actually applies to any and all believers. Any and all believers should desire to have that sort of description of their lives. Maybe some of the specific things would be a little bit different, but overall, don't we want to have those kinds of characteristics to be true of us as a follower of Christ? So my hope is that that list aspires you toward it for your own health and your own well-being, for your own growing toward Jesus. And then, hopefully, as, as you hear this and as it works in your head and in your heart, hopefully, there will be more who, who are feeling that sort of passion and hunger and that striving for the work of an elder. God has established and set out the significance and structure and character of the local church. It's to be a family gathering together to do family things in the home God has provided. It has to have leaders who selflessly hold up and hold out the truth of God, the truth of the gospel, the truth of what it means to follow Jesus. It has to have members who join in that work, and go in that direction of Jesus. And all of this, friends, I hope that you see, is actually for our good. It's from God, and all of it is for God's glory. He's worthy, and he's worth it. Let's just go in that direction together as a church. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, and we wrestle with that. And as we do, we pray that you would bring great clarity to our hearts peace to our lives. Would you help us to be a place where more will aspire for the work of shepherding people to you. And may we as a church band together with, with greater affection for one another and for you the work of living out our lives, saying that you are worthy and worth it. We pray to your glory and our good. Amen.